The Guardian. Hello, this is The Business. I'm Adit Chakraborty. This election was meant to be all about the economy. So how good a job are the politicians doing? There is a real choice on the economy at this election. A jobs tax from Labour that will kill the recovery or action from the Conservatives that will boost the recovery. We are taking the sensible course of cooperating with other countries and out of that cooperation we will be able soon to make an announcement about the global and international nature of the levy that we're proposing. We surveyed a policy battlegrounds, from a tax on jobs to bashing the bankers. We believe these five steps will transform the culture of greed that continue to disfigure the banking system in this country. And if Labour, Tory and Lib Dem don't appeal to you, how about voting MS or ASDA? There was brand pile-up at the weekend when the image was David Cameron wearing a T-shirt which was fundraising for a children's cancer charity next to Ian Botham, if we're talking trusted brands, wearing a Marks & Spencer's fleece. This is The Business from The Guardian. And in the studio today, we've got some of The Guardian's very own top brands. Our head of business, Dan Roberts, our political columnist, John from Friedland, and Hilary Osborne, editor of Guardian.co.uk's Money Site. Welcome to all of you. And let's begin by comparing notes. What's been your moment of the campaign so far? Johnny, let's begin with you. Oh, a moment of the campaign. I mean, in some ways, I feel the campaign hasn't really caught fire. But the manifesto launches, uh, I, I've, I've been at the Tory launch, I didn't make the way journey to Birmingham for the Labour one. But they, in a way, are a key moment. I mean, they're not going to be many moments where voters really pay attention. I think the TV debates are going to be one and the manifesto launches are another. And it was very striking at the Conservative launch how little a part of the message the economy uh, played. The financial crisis that was once just dominated everything in British politics was barely mentioned. There was very little to say about, uh, for example, the bank, banks and the financial industry, which surprised me. Uh, uh, and obviously, the, uh, the opposite is true of Labour, which is betting the farm on the economy as an issue. Dan? Um, the moment for me came um, after the Labour manifesto, actually, when the the, the entire assembled Guardian uh, news desk was sitting around at about six o'clock in the evening trying to work out what to put on the front page. And nobody could quite sum it up. Nobody could work out what on earth the headline was. And I thought, this is a bizarre moment that the Guardian, we've had 30 people all over the manifesto all day long, and they've spent a year writing the thing. And we can't give you the forward summary, which I thought was a real failure of message. And uh, no matter what you thought of the content of or the substance of the Tories' manifesto, um, it was just so much more it's so much slicker. They, they knew what they wanted to get across and they got the message across. So it's quite simple politics, but I think it will make the difference. Hilary, can you beat that for news from Verite? Well, I think one of the, the most interesting moments so far has been learning that the IT desk had been overheard discussing child trust funds and the fact that if the Tories got in, they might no longer be able to get their cash. So that was quite interesting to hear that, the that IT message. Desk here. Is, yes, yeah. And to hear that message is actually filtered through and that people are actually quite engaged with what it means on a very basic level to their pocket. I don't think anyone in the IT desk was old enough to have children. Oh, I was quite surprised. <laughs> Maybe it's their own child. So they're worried about it. <laughs> Ouch. This is The Business from The Guardian. The banking crisis uh, raised a whole series of questions about how the banks weren't properly capitalised, so we had to restructure them, about how the banks... Uh, 
uh, were not uh, lending sufficiently in some areas to small businesses that needed it. But it also raised questions about remuneration and the share of dividends and remuneration in the bank's revenue. Uh, we don't believe that you can get a long-term solution unless you get a solution that involves lots of countries. We don't want a race to the bottom, uh, where different tax authorities compete with each other to go to the bottom. Uh, we don't want double taxation when you're charged in one country and then charged in another country again. That's why we are taking the sensible course of cooperating with other countries. And out of that cooperation, we will be able soon to make an announcement about the global and international nature of the levy that we're proposing. I think that's the sensible way forward. It's global as a financial system, and there needs to be global action to deal with it. There's something that Labour always forget. Government is not the same as the economy. The more it grabs, the more money it wastes, the more taxes it demands, the more it stunts growth. Real growth will only come when we get the private sector going, when we get enterprise going, when we make it easier to start a business, to take people on, to get moving and growing. So this is what we will do. We're going to cut waste to stop Labour's jobs tax. That will save more than 50,000 jobs, and it will make 7 out of 10 working people better off than under Labour. Well, this is the credit crunch election. It comes in the wake of a historic banking crisis and with the economy still with one foot in recession. Before hostilities began, pundits and politicos alike agreed that economic policy was going to be the battleground of this election. Has that turned out to be the case? Dan, what do you think? Um, it was last week. It isn't this week. It might be again next week. I mean, it does feel like a long election and um, and each day there's a, we're pulled in a different direction on the themes. I mean, I, I think if we'd had this last week, we'd have said absolutely because you'd look at the national insurance debate, although it was a sort of a, a, a bit of a kind of um, red herring, I, I, it, underneath it was the important economic distinction between the, between the parties laid bare. Um, um, I thought we were getting very tired of that. And it was obvious the country was getting very tired of it. So I don't think it's a surprise that it's pretty absent from the manifesto speeches. But will it come back again next week? Quite possibly. Johnny, before uh, the election began, we all thought the Tories wouldn't go very hard on deficit. What's happened to that? Well, they have wobbled on this point, I think, altogether, on the centrality of it. And uh, again, Cameron was challenged about that when he launched his manifesto. You know, you used to tell us it was going to be the end of civilization as we knew it if we didn't pay it down. And now suddenly a hold of the tax on jobs is the worst possible thing. And it's uh, you want a big society, you know, which is the message. Dan is completely right about the slickness, by the way. There was a tremendous coherence. But there is, over time, there has been some wobbling on that. And so Cameron was forced to say, well, they're not alternatives. They're both really important. You know, the deficit is really important and growth is really important and everything else. But I think they have lost some focus there. That said, the bigger picture is that over a period of a year, 18 months, they have won that argument, if only in persuading all of us that that is the argument. Uh, I mean, if it had been up to Labour, they'd have said it's only about keeping the recovery going and uh, avoiding, you know, a deepening recession. And to make the issue debt so that all the parties are dancing to their tune one way or the other um, is a tremendous political achievement. And if the, t- the Tories win, I think probably historians will say, well, that was the moment because they shifted the debate onto their ground. Hillary, deficit, keeping recovery going. How much has any kind of cut through outside sort of Westminster? I, th- I think it does. I think you're right. The deficit message has really got across. And I, I think people are very concerned about that. And they really think they are going to be paying more. That They've really bought into thinking that whoever gets in, there's going to be higher taxes. We've sort of seen quite a lot of commentators come out and saying people are putting off buying houses because they're not sure if they're going to be, you know, what their outlay is going to be later this year. So I think people are really convinced that 
whoever gets in, they're going to have less money. Johnny, just to come back to you on the deficit point, I mean, if the Tories succeed in making deficit stick as being the key kind of economic policy issue in this election, then why were they so keen to just get rid of it and move straight on to offering people a tax cut in the form of a deferred rise in national insurance contributions? I think they made a gamble that they'd have sufficiently, if you like, won the argument on the deficit, that now they could move to another front and actually take a... It was a gamble, but I think they, so far, events have suggested they have won it, which is that people would bulk at one more tax. You know, Tories have... Labour have taxed a lot already, and the idea of a tax on jobs and the this logic... I mean, I think I'm told by people who know more about economics than I do that, that actually the logic is flawed, but it has a kind of common sense appeal, which is just as the recovery is starting, why would you put a, a, a raise the tax on jobs if you're an employer, make it more expensive for an employer to hire people? It just has a kind of common sense appeal. And, and I think it did help them. And it sort of cut through. That said, when the argument then got into a dead end and cul-de-sac about efficiencies and waste, I don't think anyone relates to that. I think everyone thinks they're, you know, plague on all your houses for that. No one believes anybody about waste and efficiencies. That's all uh, garbage, actually. So, in, 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 but the first layer of that argument that, you know, you've been taxed a lot, that we're coming out of recovery, uh, and you would re- jeopardize it by putting a tax on jobs. Labour have been left very flat footed in rebutting that. It just has a common sense appeal, and so far the Tories are out front on it. Also, we've got to say, to help them, that they uh, have had Stuart Rowe, to help the Tories, they've had Stuart Rose and all the other business leaders. That doesn't hurt to have people on the news backing your side. It almost doesn't matter what the detail is. They're just on your side and that can only help. It's quite brazenly cynical though, isn't it? Because it relies on an on, on on assumption that actually nobody's going to probe too closely and look at what you were banging on about three or four weeks ago. I mean, it, 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 it's almost, and again, I think the use of the, the, the business leaders, though politically very, very effective. Um, it, it's quite, I, I, I was profoundly depressed by the whole national insurance debate, not because all these businesses were, business leaders were lining up for, for for the toys but because it it reduced the whole of a very very important debate down to one or two sound bites in either direction and um i don't I, I don't i think that people aren't that um, um simplistic about the economy i think people actually do remember that they were being scared witless about the deficit only a few weeks earlier and they do know that tax giveaways run counter to that um whether or not it makes enough difference at the ballot box, I don't know. But I think it does. It hasn't helped that air of cynicism about politicians that actually the first big row we've had is one where the, the, the politicians have tried to treat us like fools. I mean, two, just two quick thoughts on that, one agreeing and one disagreeing. The thought agreeing is the fact that they haven't, despite what was a great week for them in campaign terms, uh, had a leap in the polls. And this is the Tories. The Tories. I mean, you'd think in a week when 100 now, the total stands up, business leaders are backing you and saying the other side are wrong. You'd think your poll numbers would, go, would leap up. That didn't happen. And which suggests Dan is right. On the other side uh, of that argument is is the view that um, if it was already a tax we were all paying, and then the Tories said we're going to give you a tax cut, it would have been one thing. But the fact that it hadn't, it hasn't yet happened. It's just saying we're not going to do a rise that Labour was going to do. Maybe again, it may be economically illiterate to say this, but maybe that has a different. P- is received differently politically because people think, well, they're not cutting taxes, they're just not increasing it. That's okay, that's not going to jeopardise the deficit. It's not making it any worse, they're just not following the, the Labour lead. And in the interest of fairness, we should mention the Lib Dems. They hadn't unveiled their manifesto at the time of recording. They clearly didn't have this podcast in mind when they were planning their campaign. Someone really does need to have a word of Nick Clegg. But he has spoken about the Lib Dems' five-point plan for controlling bank bonuses. First... There should be no cash bonuses 
over £2,500. Bonuses must only be paid out in shares redeemable after five years, with a special clause so they can't be traded off or used as security in the meantime. Second, no bonuses at all at board level. We're not saying that directors of banks shouldn't be well paid, pay them lots of money, give them free entry to the golf club, but don't pay them bonuses which distort their judgments as the people responsible for the business strategy of their banks and ensure instead that they only have the long-term interests of those banks at heart. Third, no rewards for failure. We will extend the Financial Services Act so that banks which are making a loss cannot pay discretionary bonuses at all. It's simple. If you're not making money, you don't pay out bonuses. It's just common sense. Fourth, total transparency. We will require the publication of the names of all bank staff that have salaries and bonuses that are greater than that of the Prime Minister, just under £200,000. And we will require the FSA to publish its assessment of all banks' pay policy so shareholders and the public, because it is the public after all which either owns these banks outright or indirectly subsidises them, can find out where the problems and where the excess exists. Fifth and finally, we will hold directors to account. It's all very well, the FSA, being able to rule against a bank's pay policy. But we want to bring responsibility home to the directors themselves, in their own pockets. Directors of banks will be personally fined if their institution breaks the code of practice on pay. Dan, that's quite a big shopping list, actually. What do you think of it? Um, well, the thing that jumps out at me is why just banks? I mean, it, it feels um, like most of those principles actually um, should apply to most of business life. And the last couple of weeks, I've been astonished how little attention has been paid to this year's um, uh, pay round. Um, the boss of Reckitt Benkiza, a fairly straightforward, if successful, household good companies, picked up £90 million last year. Um, the boss of Extrata, a mining company, that had a really rotten year last year, had to go to its shareholders for a rights issue. He's just picked up £20 million. Now, it wasn't that long ago if you had to go to your shareholders with a rights issue. It was a mark of shame. You were lucky if you didn't resign. Um, and now that's deemed as a sort of performance that justifies a £20 million bonus. None of these things got anything to do with banks, but they are the same. This the same type of uncontrolled greed and the same type of corporate governance failures that led to the banking crisis. So I'm, I'm, I'm amazed, really, that none of the three parties are kind of broadening this debate. They're fighting last year's war. Fine, we'll come back to your issues with a profit motive in a moment. But if there is an important distinction, because if the maker of SIF goes under, or Silip Bang, or whatever it's called, if that, if that goes under, then there's no kind of systemic shock to the rest of the economy. We just go and buy another household detergent. If Barclays Bank or NatWest or any of these other high street firms goes under, well, that actually does cause an awful lot of problems to businesses, homeowners, all the rest of it. But actually, SIF uh, uh, and Silip Bang may well be the exception that proves the rule, because vast swathes of British industry do matter in that sense. It was really interesting that the 
Labour manifesto talked about changing the takeover rules to make any utilities or infrastructure players um, uh, account for how they get, how vulnerable they'd be in future. And that was because they were scarred by the thought that Heathrow nearly went bust last year. And we would have had to step in that Heathrow. And we would have to step in if BT went under. And we would have to worry if Scottish Power got into trouble. So actually, this is true of big swathes of business. And the sustainability question is not just one for banks. Hillary. And I, I think as well, I, the, the no reward for failure because I mean there's people who lo- who've been losing their jobs in some of these companies people have been made redundant and had sort of a massive financial impact and still the boss is taking home a, a huge salary so I, th- I think that's right that the no reward for failure certainly counts. Johnny help us steer back towards bankers on this because this was meant to be kind of a, a trial of the bankers or, or certainly it's the thing that we've been waiting for is a trial of the bankers I've been surprised you've been left to the boy Clegg to, to I know. No, that is surprising. You'd think it'd be more of an issue. In a way, it's a shame it's been left to him because the problem with that that we heard is it was just classic Lib Demery. I mean, saying there should be no bonuses over £2,500. Well, how do you possibly begin to enforce that? You know, with banks, these are international institutions. They can siphon money through all different places. They can move work. You know, they'll move staff abroad, etc. It just sounded like that kind of there should be blue skies, there shouldn't be cloudy days. You know, we'd all like that. You, he had to uh, give it more teeth. And it actually played to a caricature of the Lib Dems. That in some ways, they do do these wish lists. Uh, he, of all people, he needs to be more serious and, and forensic in a way than the other parties uh, to prove he'd really thought out how you'd enforce it. Uh, it left the thought in my mind that maybe the others, well, certainly Labour, are not doing it because there are problems with implementation of, the, of this. And maybe it's just too difficult, uh, they fear. I mean, with the will, surely they could do it. But you certainly can't just wave the magic wand that Nick Clegg implied. Well, the Tories, Dan, are already talking about bringing in a bank levy, no matter what happens in other countries. Labour is saying they're going to wait on what happens internationally. Yeah, I think the difference is is quite slight there in that um, uh, Darling was suggesting that he did think there was some consensus building internationally so they probably would do something if they got in um uh osborne has been very vague on his plans and they're probably not a lot between them. I, I i i agree though with with johnny that the um the remarkable thing was how little there was in either tory or labor manifestos about reform of the banking system reform of the financial sector um mandelson um said to the ft at the beginning of the week that he didn't want to kind of do more business bashing and so there probably wouldn't be much of this i'm summarizing he didn't put it quite like that um, and, and you kind of think they're frightened of going there because they don't want to be characterised as sort of anti-capitalist. Um, and the Tories started well, but I think they've got themselves too hitched to the business wagon after the NI, NI stuff. And so we're also kind of a bit muted on it all. Um, and, it's, and yet it strikes me when I talk to people outside politics or, or journalism, it's the one thing that unites the country. Absolutely I mean, right. a, so it feels like an own goal. That's an open Massively goal that's missed opportunity. Missed, I mean, it is the, there is huge sort of inchoate rage about this subject. And it's just amazing that none of the politicians are just sort of hot wiring into it. It is such a, a palpable feeling. I think if anyone really channeled it, they would immediately be winning. Um, and I think the, uh, uh, the distinction that probably, if Dan is right, and he probably is, the distinction they are wrong to, they're not making, is between business and banks. In other words, they fear that if you bash the banks, it will be seen as anti-business. I'm convinced that people put Fred Goodwin and RBS in one box and the people who make things, the examples you were giving before about household product, in another. And to think that, you know, you attack uh, Fred Goodwin, people are going to think you're attacking Richard Branson. I just think that's a mistake. There is populist anger out there and they've made a mistake not tapping into it. This is The Business with Aditya Chakraborty. Well, we covered the great battle of national insurance at the start of the podcast. 
But one of the most interesting themes of this election is that business really does seem to have turned against Labour. They've attacked Gordon Brown in the papers, on the radio and on telly, and in the process handed David Cameron an absolute gift. Even when the Tory leader visited the brewery this week, he was still going on about it. I think it's crazy when you're coming out of recession, when you're trying to get the economy moving, to put an extra tax on jobs. It's the worst time to put a tax on jobs. I think it would be a jobs killer, it would be a recovery killer, it would be an economy killer. We can't stop every tax rise. It is a difficult situation our economy is in, but we should try and stop the one tax rise that will really hit people in work and that will hit every company that wants to grow and expand and employ people. Because I think getting the economy going is the most important thing of this election. So, Do you drink ale or lager? I drink. I drink. Ever, I haven't yet found a drink I don't like. That's a um, uh, worrying admission to make. But uh, I tend to drink um, bitter rather than lager. Quite like um, uh, quite like London Pride. Very good. But I've got in my constituency. I say I've got the Witchwood Brewery, and I've also got Hook Norton right outside. So I'm afraid I do drink some of the competition. But uh, I think London Pride is an excellent is an excellent pint. And I also think uh, the, new, the, the, the cans with the widgets are quite good too, so sometimes a cold Guinness can be nice as well. I'm sounding a bit like an alcoholic. I think I'll stop there. David Cameron, I wonder what his position is on Cosmopolitans. Um, Dan, we've already talked about the politics, but let's do the policy. Is this, is this NI rise actually a tax and jobs? What's your, what's your feeling on that? All taxes are deterrents. I mean, income tax is a tax on sort of success, um, uh, as is capital gains tax. Um, VAT is a tax on consumption and a very regressive one at that. Um, so I think it's oversimplistic to single out NI. Um, having said that, it does have a unique characteristic, which is both employers and employees pay it. Um, and um, it's not a good thing to be putting up that kind of tax um, when we're trying to get out of um, a recession. But the key thing here is timing. Um, this is going to come in after we after we have come out of recession and, and the reason it is is because they because darling in his last budget but one um decided to hold public spending um uh, or, or, or to, to 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 use the jargon have a very loose fiscal policy to try and um cope with to avoid the recession this is the price we're paying for that but but i think that the the, the, the the thing is, most economists actually agree that that sort of um, uh, strategy works, that you do want to run a loose fiscal policy um, um, to avoid a deeper recession. But when things improve, you have to try and bring the deficit down. So I, I do think that the Tories are, are kind of glossing over that nuance. And quite rightly, this is politics. We shouldn't expect too much from them. The other really interesting thing, though, and I just have to diversion here, but it really struck me listening to Cameron there. This is about branding. And I think at a time when politics has lost a lot of its credibility, when people don't really believe the media anymore, one of the things that everybody can relate to is brands. And they're incredibly powerful. And actually to see um, David Cameron endorsing London Pride and kind of by implication London Pride endorsing Cameron or M&S, for example, I think that's the power here. It's not actually that people think Stuart Rose is any, any more qualified to, to pontificate on the economy than Alistair Darling but they recognise M&S as something that they see every day that they kind of trust and that that has more I think it's really kind of sad but I think it's quite telling that we've reached a point where M&S has more credibility politically than Westminster or all the media. Hilary do you agree? It's difficult because you, you, you'd hope that that was too simplistic and too patronising a view of people, but actually, sneakily, you think it's probably true. There was brand pile-up at the weekend when the image was 
David Cameron wearing a T-shirt which was fundraising for a children's cancer charity next to Ian Botham, if we're talking trusted brands, wearing a Marks and Spencer's fleece. I mean, it was a, you know it was a brand collision, and what that's I think I'm agreeing with Dan. I think that the the bathing of Cameron in that glow of things people like you know, Michael Caine, Michael Caine earlier, the MNS, you know, uh, uh, all of that, it all helps. And I think probably it's true that people do tune out a lot of the noise, and they're looking for those signifiers, and they have been pretty thin on the ground for Labour. Um, it's beginning to remind me a little bit of the sort of 87 election when Kinnock was reduced to doing, you know, the pop video with Tracy Ullman, you know, and they just didn't have many big well-known backers and it's just having a bit of that. And they've got the old Doctor Who. They haven't even got the new Doctor Who, have they? (laughs) Is he he old enough to vote? (laughs) The new new one. one. (laughs) But when it works, it's incredibly powerful. I mean, in 97, um, it wasn't just the celebrities but it was also that sense that Labour stood for the zeitgeist and stood for things that people kind of... businesses actually backed them at that time. Yeah. So what's gone wrong? Have businesses seen another bandwagon come and decide to get on that one? Yeah, I mean, I'm afraid... um, I, I've been covering business for 15 years and, and I know a lot of these people and love them dearly but but they're a pretty cynical bunch and they, they basically they go with the winners so that's it, it's nothing more complicated than that business backs whichever party it thinks will win the next election I think that's just what's happened it, it's coincidence that it chimes with a message that lobby groups always have which is they want lower taxation Johnny this wasn't the way New Labour was meant to run was it I, mean, I thought that's what the prawn cocktail circuit with the business people in the, in the 90s was all about was winning it over was, business it was and they did and you know you look at it through the other other end of the telescope and you'd say an, a prawn cocktail offensive that began in 1994 has held good for more than 15 years. That's quite an accomplishment. It was always going to fade eventually because there just is a pendulum in British politics. So you look at it that way around, it's just amazing it lasted as long as it did rather than being amazed that now uh, uh, business is defecting. Um, I, th- I think it's it's just another one of those straws in the wind though, that the feeling that, and it's of course self-fueling, if voters are watching this and thinking, those guys think they're the winning team then that become, can become a snowball so Labour needs something to shake things up I mean I was surprised they didn't come out with a whole lot of business people of their own they had one didn't they in the FT so they've got him and they've got the guy who did the Waterstones that's it yeah and even he <laughs> and he's not sure really yeah. we've been trying to get hold of him and he's not that chatty <laughs> in an ideal world for Labour you'd have had okay here's their hundred here's our hundred in a full page ad in all the papers you know and that would have sort of neutralised it but they don't have those battalions anymore and on that sad note, we will end the programme there. Our thanks to Dan Roberts, Jonathan Friedland and Hilary Osborne. Don't forget to add your voice to our debate at guardian.co.uk forward slash the business. This podcast was produced by Annie Duckworth. I'm Adit Chakraborty. Thanks for listening. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.